When a person goes from being a life partner to your ex, it can be a challenge to remember that you can't talk to them the way you used to. Yeah, like you wouldn't be able to vent your anger at them or like express so much anger like you might have been able to and done when you were still together. Ex etiquette is tricky, but it's doable and that's why we're here to help you achieve it. You're listening to Divorce Story, the podcast that will help you get back on your feet after a relationship separation. I'm Cass Thorburn. I'm a journalist, single mum of three, and just over three years ago, my marriage ended and I had to hit restart. And I'm Annalise Dent. I'm a writer, broadcaster, mum of two, and I haven't been through a marriage separation But I grew up in a home going through one and I've supported family members and girlfriends through the process and that's a role I would never take for granted. On the show today, we're talking about ex-etiquette and joining us is psychologist and infidelity expert, which I'm really excited to Mm -hmm. hear from her, expert Rachel Voicey from the Relationship Room in Sydney. Rachel, in those really early weeks when the wounds are are really raw, what Mm. advice would you give to people who are separating about communicating with each other? Well, I mean, unfortunately, in those early weeks and months, it is the hardest time. And, you know, the whole, the thing is the whole kind of landscape of the relationship changes when you separate. So you kind of, are doing two things you're trying to manage your expectations because this is now a different kind of relationship to what it was before when you've made that decision and you're also trying to obviously be the best person you can be in the communication and the post uh, separation fallout I guess so I, I really try to encourage people to make sure that they have a clear idea of who their support network is you know you really need to know who the people are that you can go to to help you process some of your emotions and everything you're going through um, which can be friends family you know a therapist a group it doesn't really matter but if you don't have somewhere else that you can kind of help kind of process and run through your feelings then you tend to take them out in the interactions you have with your newly ex-partner so you know that's an important thing on the side of managing yourself in it and then on the other side I think it's really important to have a clear idea of what your boundaries are going to be with your partner you know if you feel they are being aggressive or critical or unfair you need to think that you're setting up a new relationship so if you don't put in the appropriate boundaries early you end up kind of creating this dysfunctional separated relationship so I really like people to kind of have a clear idea in their mind what they will and won't accept because in those first few weeks and months you're actually creating this new relationship which is a separated relationship you know it's different to the marriage or relationships it was it's probably not where you're going to end up being 12 or two 12 months or two years later but it becomes part of where you end up being later into the longer term part of separation so I think there are a couple of really important points in that first early early part of communication There's clearly things that shouldn't be said during this time, isn't there? Well, absolutely, but unfortunately they do tend to get said, you know. This is the time normally, this early part where people are going through what, you know, for psychologists we call kind of, you know, an attachment injury or unattaching from somebody. Even if you've known for a long time it's coming, when it actually happens, most people do have a little bit of a sense of panic, which can come out as probably anger, sadness, rage, you know. So things, it is very hard for people to not 
either have things said to them or say things that they don't mean or are unhelpful. But, you know, once you've decided to separate, you want to kind of know that you don't need to say those things anymore that are just hurtful or resentful or things from the past because it's you've made that decision, you're done. And similarly, if your partner's saying things to you that are personal, attacking, critical, nasty, you need to put a, a pretty clear boundary around that and say no. But unfortunately, these things happen, you know. Divorce is really messy no matter how much. Even the best kind of separations I've ever seen have really hurtful parts for both people in them and that's the best cases, you know. No one gets out of it without some pain. The point that you make that you're now in a new relationship, do you think that's something that people don't understand in the beginning and that takes a while to, to come to that realisation? Absolutely, because I think if you can, I think it does and I think if you can hear that from someone or you know that, it gives you this sense of, control and almost like a fresh start which helps to empower people you know if you think this is a new relationship I'm setting up here it's not the old relationship and this period between separation and new life when every when all the kind of carnage and mess is sorted it's a little transition period and people can feel like their life is spinning out of control and they're in a constant kind of high cortisol stress state because they feel like they're in battle against somebody now and if you think like that, it can become very overwhelming, full of anxiety and a, and a really kind of horrible place to be. Whereas if you kind of try to take that frame of it, if this is a new relationship I'm setting up here, what do I want it to look like? It can empower you to make choices around your own behaviour. And, you know, that really is unfortunately what us, you know, relationship therapists always say that you can only control. But it is incredible when you can be your best self, how you will help to bring something out in someone else. So I definitely think it's great to think of it as this new relationship. And it takes you back to that beginning thing I say to new couples where you teach people how to treat you. So if you do that early and you say, these are my expectations and this is also how I'm going to treat you, you can kind of be the start of a more positive kind of change. So it's a nice way to think of it, I think. One of my girlfriends told me that she would write down a text message in notes in her phone of what she wanted to say and then yeah. she would actually get it out of her system and then filter it and write it in a text message or email. And in a lot of cases for friends of mine, um, when it's new and also years later, they find that that written is the best communication when things Absolutely. are. Absolutely. I mean, we're so lucky, aren't we, Donna, yeah. now? You know, when you go back 20 years ago, you had to, it was all had to be face-to-face or over the phone. Yeah. And now the fact that we have email and text message and all these, you know, ways to communicate to take some of the emotion out and writing, I mean, writing, even if you don't send it is incredibly therapeutic for everybody, you know, just even just waking up in the morning and putting a couple of pages of stream of consciousness stuff down on a piece of paper is a really great way to clear kind of the top of off your kind of conscious mind that feels really angry and muddled and, and you know, you have this self-talk going through your head of everything you want to say and everything you should have said. And, you know, getting that out on paper certainly helps to calm the mind and detach from some of that, you know, overwhelming power of all those thoughts going in your head. But then also when you have to communicate with a partner and maybe you're trying your best and they are just being aggressive or you're too triggered, putting things in text and email is incredibly powerful and a really great way to take some of the conflict out of the communication. Rachel, if you're not getting that respect that you talk about, what should you do? Should you actually say, hey, we're trying to start a new relationship here. Is that what you should point out? Absolutely. I think you need to say to someone, you know, I'm trying to start a new relationship with you and where this is a different relationship where 
it's actually not okay anymore for you to treat me that way and these are the expectations I have going forward and if those expectations aren't met then we're going to have to communicate differently you know that's when you kind of can say I think I'd prefer you to put things in text or let's keep everything via email and people because unfortunately divorce and separation is you know can get a little bit um litigious and messy people are very careful about what they put in writing so it is a great way to disarm somebody if they are not respecting the boundaries you're trying to create in this new relationship it is a really good way to say yeah it's actually not it might have been okay when I was with you because I was trying to save something between us or I was hoping you'd change but that's gone now and now I need to have a functional relationship with you to sort out whatever whatever the logistics are that you have left when you're untangling your lives. And the great thing with technology as well, if someone is being, uh, you know, not respecting boundaries, you can actually block them from your mobile and Absolutely. they can only send you emails. How fabulous is that, Cass? Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. It's wonderful. This is what I mean. How lucky are we? You know, people used to have to get their friends and family involved when it got bad because they couldn't talk to their partners anymore. You know, that's kind of how it was in the 80s and even early 90s. It was kind of that thing if you had to get someone else to mediate or go between now, you you can you can block them you can put in text but I, I just want to like one of the points I really think helps people when they're going through these um this kind of first transition time and even in the first surprise like honestly this can be the first year or two is you've also really got to be aware of what you're expecting because sometimes if your expectations if you want you know an ex-husband who's considering your feelings and absolutely you know on board with the changes and the plans you know, you might get that, you know, a year or two in, but if you're expecting that in the first three to six months and then you think, oh, my God, this is the worst divorce, I've got the worst ex-relationship, this is disastrous, why can't he say kind of things when I pick up the kids, why isn't he asking how I am? Those expectations can make you become defensive and disappointed. So you need to also remember that it's an age and stage thing with separations, right? They, You have to have expectations that fit with the period of the separation you're in. For the first three to six months, everybody's playing their emotions out through the logistics of separation be that kids, finances, family, people taking sides. But as those emotions calm down and people return to feeling better in themselves, that's when you might end up with a really good divorce or a good ex-partner. But just because they're not like that in the first three, six, nine months doesn't mean you're not going to have a good separated relationship. So you don't want to end up catastrophizing, thinking that this is going to be the worst thing for the next five or ten years that you've got to deal with this person. I just think that really helps. You've got to remember it, it changes. And what we've learned from recording this series, Cass, from speaking to people is that sometimes grief can pop up like you've been fine for three months and then after a year and a half there's a trigger and all of a sudden you're Mm -hmm. back to anger. So I think that's important in managing expectations as well. Absolutely. And And that's fine, isn't it? Like you are angry and hurt and you're grieving and you're detaching, which for psychology is huge, especially in relationship therapy. Attachment is a primal system. When you're detaching from somebody, nobody just walks away going, oh, you know, I'm fine, five minutes. In and if they do, there's a bigger problem, you know. We all feel grief and anger and it comes up at all kinds of moments. What about so, when yeah. it comes to kids, Rachel? Is it better to have a third person involved who acts as a buffer? Yeah, well, at what point would we need that, I guess? Mm. Yeah, look, you know, I suppose once it becomes quite toxic and the kids are getting pulled in, I mean, I'm more a relationship psychologist than a child psychologist, so you talk about child parts with couples at different points. But if it's becoming quite toxic and it's, you know, and children are getting inappropriately dragged into um, the kind of mess between their parents, that's when, you know, I will say to people it's probably time to involve a third-party professional more than probably family or anyone else who understands um, and commu- can communicate to both parents how 
that behaviour might be affecting the child in a negative way because if it comes from either parent, they tend to feel like it's just another criticism, you know. Mm. Well, you say that in front of the kids. Well, it's okay when you pick them up and you introduce them to that new person that you, you know, if it comes that way and it's becoming this kind of scramble and the kids are getting hurt in it, I do think that I've, well, I definitely give my couples the advice that that's the time for them to go and seek guidance from a, you know, a child psychologist because that's very different to what's going on between the parents. But one of the things I've definitely learned over my time liaising with child psychologists, I suppose, because we do obviously work back and forth, me being with the couple and them helping with the children in separation, is that it's very healing for children to hear positive things about the parent, that the other parent, but they need to be real. Like there's no point doing that, you know, dad's the most amazing guy kind of thing when you don't think it and, you know, it's almost like you can't get the words out of your mouth. You've got to think about the things that you really do respect, like and admire about them and when there's appropriate opportunities, you try to mention those things and because intuitively if, you're, if they're not real, kids pick them up and, they, and then they don't have that effect of helping them to um, resolve that tension that happens when they feel their parents don't like each other because they are obviously a product of both people. So you don't want that internal anxiety of well, if mum doesn't like dad and I'm half dad, well, then how do I feel about me? So you really want to be able to find things, you know, you know, dad is really, you know, clever and he's a great person to ask questions because he has a great general knowledge. You know, if you really believe that, say that, but don't say things to try and do that lip service thing to what a great person the other one is if you don't believe those things because children intuitively pick them up, you know. It needs to be real when you're trying to be positive about each other. How important is it to make sure that your ex isn't a taboo subject in the home? For example, family photos, you know, was mm. something that I ensured that I mm. made sure were in the in the house. Yeah, look, it's very, I mean, it's very important to, for, for children to not feel like, you know, things of the past and their chapters of their life and parts of who they are are being, you know, wiped out of their life because, you know, that is their kind of narrative of who they are too. So it's, look, where possible, it's very important, you know. But again, if it's really triggering you to look at those family photos in those early stages, keep them to a minimum, you know, maybe move a few. But you try mm. to, you're kind of trying to balance your well-being with what's best for the child because if you're doing the, what's best for the child but it's triggering you and taking you to a place where you're ending up feeling terrible in those first stages, that's not great either for them. So it's this balance of looking after yourself and also making sure that you do the best thing for the kids at certain stages as they also progress along through the journey with you but you know of course ideally it's wonderful to try to be able to include that person still in a positive way in their day-to-day life by having things like photos and conversations about mum or dad or whoever isn't there but it's hard it can be hard when you're in those first stages because those photos can make you feel really down as well you yeah. know we romanticize the past oh really totally I mean yeah. I, I can imagine maybe you know a solution might be family photos out of the living room in the kids' That's bedroom, right. you know, in so you're bedroom. not exactly. faced That's with it right. day in, day out. That's right. Somewhere where they, you know, but if you've got family photos all over the sideboard, you know, you probably don't want to kind of like as the person, you know, one week into separation, move them all because that, you know, again, that's confronting probably yeah. for the kids. You do things, you've got to do things slowly because human beings, be they little human beings or be they us, you know, it doesn't really matter. We all struggle a bit adapting to change. So you don't want too many big changes all at once. You want to try, if you possibly can, to kind of ease things in a transition. Rachel, divorce isn't new. It's been around 
forever and a day, people have separated. Do you think yeah. there's an unfair expectation from society because it's not new, because it has always happened, mm-hmm. that 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 you should be able to get over it quicker or move on faster? Yeah. Well, definitely, especially now. And that's, you know, when I've done other, um, you know, when I do talk about divorce and good divorce and separations, I really try to stress that because I think, you know, even this like conscious uncoupling movement, you know, it can be another way of making us feel like we're not doing something well enough or we're not succeeding in our divorce. You know, we should have a better kind of separation because these people did or if we got more therapy or if we could communicate better and all those things do is make us feel worse about ourselves. So I think that not only because it's been around so long but because in a wonderful way self-help is you know, help, it's really assisting us to get through things better and with more awareness. It, you just want to make sure that you don't use, you know, these ideals around you can have a good divorce or you can, you know, to make yourself feel worse and to also be angry at your partner for not being that person who should be the good divorced partner. You know, you, you kind of, it's definitely is a concern to me when people come in because I've had clients come in and be comparing their separations to the ones their friends have had why can't my partner communicate as well as he did when they separated that stuff is never helpful you know you need to try and you know give yourself the fact that every separation is different and and again back to that attachment stuff it's never easy and And if it is easy there's been a bigger problem and don't take into account the judgment from society about it no, absolutely. I mean, that's, yeah, absolutely not. And that seems to have, to some degree, what I see in my in my work has changed a little bit, but I definitely think there's an identity component to our relationship. So a lot of people will come in here considering divorce or post it, saying, I'm just really struggling being that single dad, or I never thought I was going to be somebody who was separated. You know, that stuff is identity stuff and you need to work through it and be able to be okay with integrating that you're still the same person you know and these labels and things really don't mean much but I do think that stigma seems to be a little you know a bit better than maybe it has been but it's still hard for the person in it to be like integrating that change into who they are yeah there's and I think there's still a long way to go I I grew up as a kid in in the 90s with my parents going through a divorce and it really wasn't the norm then and there was definitely stigma and it kind of wasn't really talked about we didn't really know about child psychologists and you know all the Mm. things and mental health that we know about today what sort of honesty should we be putting in place and and how are we communicating with kids about how we're coping and how we're feeling I think sharing about feelings is, you know, again, you know, that's taken to be fairly helpful, you know. It's it's a good modelling exercise to tell them you're having a bad day, you're finding it hard or talk about your feelings adjusting to the change. You know, I've had clients who have books that they, you know, get their, you know, they, they write down feelings in and get their children to as well or they use letter writing to kind of normalise feelings for their kids, you know. that's It's definitely... Um, much healthier than probably pretending that, you know, you're happy because then often the kids aren't feeling happy either and they don't understand that it's okay to say that you are struggling with the change or you do miss mum or you do miss dad or this is hard or you wish things could go back to how they were. Those kind of things are really important because when you talk about emotions, you help process them and that takes some of that beasting effect out. It doesn't mean you forget what's happening but you feel more at peace when you can kind of name your feelings and then get back into your life. So, um, you know, I just certainly don't think you need to hide it. And it's, you know, a lot of kids and a lot of us, you know, who grew up in the 90s with separated parents, well, you know, people say to me often that they, 
you know, loved going to their friend's house whose parents were also separated from us because it made them feel normal. So, you know, yeah. it's that. And I, I mean, I remember going through that too and thinking, oh, I love going to her house because her parents fight, my parents fight. I don't have to say anything about it. Oh, God, I feel better when I'm over there because her mum screams louder than my mum. You know, and I'd love it. Even though I was like 10. Like, I still remember that so clearly because we do, we love when our experiences are normalised because when we don't feel like there's anything wrong with us. So, you know, that's the thing is, you know, if there are other children going through the same experiences, it's not that you want those kids to get together for therapy, but it just normalises it. Oh, she's going through a similar thing. They probably don't even have to talk about it. But just knowing that other people are having this experience is very healing for human beings. Rachel, thank you so much for chatting with us today and imparting your wisdom. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. It's a wonderful topic. I really appreciate you having me on. Today's divorce story comes from a friend of the pod, psychologist Jackie Manning. Jackie is one of our experts, but she's also been through separation and she joins us to share her story. So, Jackie, tell us a bit about your separation story. Yeah, so my husband and I separated at the beginning of last year and it wasn't anything nasty. There was no one else for either of us. Everyone always thinks that. Um, The amicable word. Well, kind of, yeah. There were issues of childhood trauma and things like that. So it was just how it went really Mm. and but we're still great friends and in fact we kind of surprised people by um we stayed living together for the bulk of well for nearly a year probably nine or ten months or so give or take and that was for a lot of reasons some of them logistic and some of them just to give the kids we've got two daughters a chance to get their head around things and to realize that mum and dad are still going to be friends we're still going to spend time together all four of us Mm. we're still a family it looks different and it is different but it gave everyone a chance to get used to the idea and Jackie, did it, how, sorry, how did that work? Did you guys sleep in separate rooms? How yes. did it logistically work? Yes, we slept in separate rooms and we, part, yeah, so we were lucky enough to have the space to do that. And really to the outer world, it probably looked like business as usual. It wasn't... Or that you were trying to work it out. Well, we had been before mm. that. So, you know, it was, it was over and we told the kids quite early on that it was over, but... Um, we just went about family life and we talked. We actually went to counselling together through last year as well just to be adult about mm. it and to realise. My parents were really great friends, yeah. best friends. The entire, You know, they were married for 21 years and separated and they were best friends until my dad passed away. You know, it was yeah. amazing. You know, she um, babysat my little sister when she was born and all of that. So, yeah. yeah, it does exist. It does. And I'm hoping into the future it continues. And I see no reason why it won't because we've both got that intention to – we still love and respect each other. Mm. And obviously we really love and, and cherish our children. And for kids it's really important that they um, are free to love both parents mm. because – if they feel the anger, and sometimes some situations do call for anger, of course they do. I had anger myself, but you don't have to be nasty to each mm. other, and you don't have to be, I don't know, putting someone down because for a child, that's half of their DNA, and they find that very confusing and conflicting if someone's bad mouthing one parent and they think, well, hang on, 
that's kind of me. Mm. So mm. it can cause a lot of issues, which I've seen in my practice with adult clients who come along and talk about their parents' breakup and yeah, whatnot. I think it's really important. You know, I've, I've often talked to my kids about, you know, don't worry, you were born out of love. Yeah, absolutely. And you you did. You love this person. You probably presumably agreed with them a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've found the pathwaying into living separately reasonably, well, actually not just reasonably, really easy because we both agreed on time shared with the children and we're both seeing a lot of the children. So even on days that are his, he might need to go to work early so he mm. can drop the kids to me early. I'll drop them to school and vice versa. He picks them up for me on a day that I have to work late and that way he gets to see the kids and the dog. <laughs> Mustn't forget the dog. Um, and, and so the kids aren't missing out and they're not feeling like they're actually really good. They're really Did you set happy. a time frame on that? Not a fit. Look, when we first decided to separate, we sort of thought, okay, he'll move out within three months. And then that just became unworkable. Mm. We couldn't do that. Mm. We decided to sell our house and stuff. So it became about a year. And I think some people found that a bit unusual, but it worked for us. And and certain things that we're doing now work for us. And they're not um, maybe what everyone can do or have the possibility to do. But it, I had a friend say to me the other day, you make breaking up look beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, Did you have to go through grievings process still? Yes. Though, like grieving the end of the marriage, not totally. just like, yeah. And I had a couple of other things going in my life that caused grief too. I lost my mum. So that was, you know, pretty mm. big as well. Um, yes, I did. And you've got to honour your grief. So mm. what does that mean? For me, it means crying. And I think for many people, it means crying. And things pop up at later points in time too, because you kind of go into shock when it first happens, even if it's something that you can foresee. Well, your body certainly does. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And so a lot of times we live in a very – a world where we can easily distract ourselves and that can be useful to a point sometimes. But what people do rather than distract is avoid their feelings and you won't get through your feelings if you keep avoiding them. So grief is heavy, grief is sad. That's okay. Yes. That's yeah. This is supposed to be sad. Yes. So And at times I need to be angry, not yeah. at someone but at the situation or at yes. the fact that it's, you know, it's ended and I'm grieving this. It's it's still a stage. It doesn't have to be directed at one person. No, 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 absolutely not. And, I, you know, points in time when um, like when my ex found his own place, I was like, I'm feeling angry at you. If you feel some energy from me, I'm actually feeling really angry because yeah. it made it really real but I wasn't. I just said it like that. I wasn't yelling at him or anything. You don't need to. You can express your feelings in a way that's, I was going to say constructive, but just real. Just be honest and authentic. If You will need to vent sometimes, I guess. So using friends and therapists like me and bashing a pillow or whatever it might be. And some people are in um, situations where it is really heated. It can be a sudden shock. It can be due to infidelity and those kind of things. We're human. Of course, you're going to feel raw and distressed. So that's got to be honoured. But in front of the children or we, and even with your partner, like finding ways to express that so that you feel um, that you, you're cleansing your, your emotions. One um, of the big things that I've found is that you can no longer – clearly when you separate from someone – You've lost that intimacy where you can, you know, converse in a way that only you two kind of understand the language. And yes, if you get, you'd say things sometimes to the people you love that you wouldn't say to other people. 
Did you still go through that transition in that year of thinking, okay, I can't really say it like that now because we have separated? Yeah, look, yes and no. I mean, we were still hugging each other. We were still like quite n- nice to each other. Mm. Um, but I'm, I've got, I'm blessed with a really close circle of friends and obviously being in my line of work, I, I talk and I, I'm honest with my feelings. If I'm going to see a group of friends and I'm feeling like crap I'll tell them I'm feeling like crap so <laughs> um, so I, I have places where I can where I can vent um did you guys put some rules in place in terms of your relationship the way you communicate was there anything that you discussed that you put in place or has it just been quite natural it's a good question I, we talked about structure kind of thing but we didn't really have to in a lot of ways as well so yeah, I don't know actually if we actually put in rules. We taught, we'd communicate with our kids too. So we had what we called family meetings. So we'd keep them informed of things that were going on as well as when we knew it, in, especially in terms of logistics like housing and what's mm. happening where mm. and, and how because kids want to know that. They just want to know where am I today and what's happening in my mm. world and they really need that clarity. So to be certain of things. So we made that quite regular to get together as all four of us. Um, no, look, we've done a lot of work on being able to communicate honestly yet effectively with each other and I think we just continued that really. So they say to have a photo, you know, to still have family photos in mm-hmm. the house. You took that to a whole other level and just kept we did. in the house. <laughs> <laughs> <And> <laughs> we each other in the and house. we still do. I noticed the other day at his place, you know, our wedding photos up and stuff. So because the, that's part of our history. It's part yes. of our life. It's, yeah. it's part of the children's history too. I mean, that mm. won't be there forever. And we haven't had to navigate yet new partners for either one of us. Yeah, that's when so it gets tricky. So that will get tricky yeah. and we'll just have to... I don't know, keep going as we are and keep respecting each other Mm. and I think if we're honest with each other that we've got a good shot. If you want to hear more from us, follow us on our socials at Cass Thorburn and at Annalise Dent. Divorce Story is produced by me, Annalise Dent. And me, Cass Thorburn. The executive producer is Eliza Ratliff. So you don't miss out on any episodes, make sure you hit subscribe. And if you liked what you heard, then please feel free to rate us and leave us a review.